Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Well, you know, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. I, I, uh, I don't think for a second that God, before he spoke creation into existence, sat down and mapped out that type of tragedy. And that's, the, you know, that's a, that's a, it's a fundamental split in the body of Christ. The, uh, you know, the more Calvinistic or Reformed thinking versus more free will type thinking. And it's like, you know, nobody has all the answers, but we understand God by looking at Jesus, right? Yes, we have the Old Testament. We have all of that stuff where God protected his, his family. He protected the Israelites, and he would wipe out nations to protect that bloodline, to protect the Messiah's entry into the earth. So, I mean, we have a God of justice. We have a God of punishment and, and penalty against sin. But all of that has been paid for in Jesus, and God now has the kind of relationship with mankind that he's desired from the beginning. And that is to be in a loving family covenant that is upheld by his son and himself. And we share in that by faith. And it is the hardest thing because, you know, and I don't want to just exploit her experience. And I don't, I don't want to go there. But it's a topic that we talk about a lot because people have serious questions you know what I mean? It, it's, why did this happen? Why is that happening? The short answer, and I say it all the time, if you want to see the unhindered will of God, look in the garden where it was perfect. And then he said, here, I'm giving you dominion over this planet, mankind. And that's, when God speaks something, he can't go against it. He spoke that into existence until the fullness of time where he would take back the earth again. Now, we don't really know all that time frame and everything, but you want to see his perfect will? You want to see what God's will looks like? Look at the garden. And then after the return of Christ, look in heaven. That's what God wants for us. And then in the middle, he sends Jesus, and Jesus says to us, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's what God wants, right? And in and and tragedy like this, it's, it's, it's the effects of sin and death. It's just in the world. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And it's heartbreaking and it's confusing and it's difficult and challenging. But you know what? It's, it's not the character of God to craft hardships in our lives in that way. I mean, even, even in the old, it wasn't, that wasn't how it worked. God would judge sin and, of course, there would be penalty. But as far as just individually picking, out, pick, picking on people, no. You know? So that's really one of the biggest reasons why this church exists is we want to help people see the, who, the true character of God, who God really is. Not that we've got it all figured out, but I know one thing, that he's good Amen. and yes. that he's only good. Yes. Amen? Amen? And he has good plans for us. And it's not plans to harm you. Like uh, Angie quoted Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I had somebody ask me to say, well, so do you take every promise in the Bible for you? It's like, well, if it's consistent with what Jesus paid for, if it's consistent with the general character of who God is, then yes, I don't care who he's promised it to. 
It's in, it's in 1 Corinthians. No matter how many promises God has made to anyone, it says they are yes and amen in Him, in Christ. Because if God's going to be good to one, He wants to be good to all. He's no respecter of persons. You know, life is not a test that you pass to get into heaven. It's just not. And there's serious loss that people are struggling with. And it's, and it's confusing. And it's like, you know what? I have to know one thing. God is good. God is for me. God is with me. God loves me. I'm good with that. I don't have to have any other answers. I'm going to keep moving. Amen? Amen? So that's what we want to do. We want to change the way people see God, where we actually can trust Him. You know, there's an interesting paradox in freedom. And that is, the more free you are, the more responsible you become. Because you protect the freedom that you have. And the most free people, they move past this desire of self-preservation into, I want protection for everybody. You know, not socialism, but where everybody has the opportunity to be self-governed. And I'm not trying to be political. It's just they're, they're consistent ideas and freedom that we need to get out there. You know, even in a message that really heavily focuses on grace, and on the finished work of Jesus. If you really understand what's being said, there's more responsibility in that. Because you have the power to represent God. Yeah, you're supposed to represent Him well. But you've been changed at the core of what kind of being that you are. You carry the presence of God within you. I was reading this week in... uh, in Joshua and in Judges, and there was a, you know, God, you know, God made two rivers split, right? Where the first was the Red Sea and the second was the Jordan, where after 40 years in the desert, they finally got to go in the land. And it said that, you know, they're all, again, like Moses, Moses was whining and complaining. I love it. And, you know, I know I'm bouncing around. I actually do have a message, but <laughs> I'll get there in a minute. But y'all are used to that by now, so. I love what God says to Moses. You know, God tells Moses, first off, he shows up and he tells Moses, look, I want you to go do this really impossible thing. And Moses is like, now, who are you? You know, he questions who God is. And then God shows him a couple of signs and he says, all right, bottom line, what's in your hand? You know, I love this and I've got a whole message on what's in your hand. So the way that God inspires Moses to start where he was and continue to move and trust God from there forward was just what's in your hand. I don't mean what do you do really well. I just mean what do you have? You know, you might have a baby in your hand. You might have a job in your hand. You've got people that have fallen into your lap in your hand. That you're, you know, whatever it is. I, this is where I'm going to start. You know, it's not. We we can't be. You know, I, like for a church, right? I can't be looking over y'all's heads into the future of where we're going to be because then everybody around here is overlooked. You know, it's it's what's in our hands. What do we have in this moment? that we can look and say, okay, I can trust God with this. Tomorrow, I don't know what that's going to look like, but today I'm going to trust him with what's in my hand right now. And he sends Moses out, and Moses watches miracle after miracle after miracle, stuff the world had never seen. Stuff that my daughter says, my 15-year-old daughter says, is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible, and I've never really thought about it that way, but it's true. You know, Think about all the stuff that happened through Moses in Egypt. And he sees all of this stuff happen. And this is true where we are too. We see God move all the time. If you ever feel like God's not moving in your life, go stand outside, 
Look up at the sun, take a deep breath, and remember. He created all of this for you to experience Him. I mean, if, if, you, if, if you lose sight of everything, go stand outside and just be thankful that you can breathe. I mean, when you really think about it, everything is spiritual. Everything that God has designed is life-giving. You know, it's connect back to that basic simplicity thankfulness, simple thankfulness, and then deal with life from there, you know. But Moses gets to this point after seeing all this stuff, and he's standing there by the water, and he's in it. God, I love it. God says, why are you crying? What are you crying about? Why are you crying to me? You know, that's how I hear God. It's probably a little bit more kind, you know. But that's, that was the response to Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Use the rod that's in your hand. I have already given you what you need. Use the rod that's in your hand. And Moses stands up and says, oh, yeah. And he steps forward and he hits the water. and Boom, it splits. And then you think about 40 years later when the, Israel, when the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on which the presence of God in this earth would rest. And he tells them, now's the time. Go take the land that I've promised to you. Go. And they're, you know, they're, they're whining and complaining too. And they, he finally gets the priests to move forward. And as soon as their foot hit the water, boom, the Jordan splits. And all of those Israelites cross over on dry land too. You know, there's so many messages and there's so many points in that, but if you don't know the character of God, that if you actually move with Him on your behalf and He's always with you, stuff happens. Life will respond to you. Amen? And, and sometimes bad things happen, it's, and it's just the nature of the, of the effects of sin and death that we're experiencing in this moment. And the problem is, is we personally carry those effects in our hearts, and in our minds because we have made some really dumb decisions. Alan, you ever made any dumb decisions? A lot. A lot. Every day. A lot every day. You ever made any dumb decisions? Sure. I'm only going to ask those two. That's Don't worry. But that's, that's what, we're, what we're looking at in this series is, is getting ourselves to a place where we actually let the effects of the cross be alive with inside of us. You know, so I want to look at a couple of passages, and if you've got your Bible, don't, don't put it up just yet, but you can flip over to uh, Hebrews 9. We've been camping out here for the past couple of weeks. But, you know, we can't think of God as just this distant entity and then Jesus is kind of like the door into heaven. And Christianity is a list of rules that I've got to figure out how to keep those rules and how to do life, you know, following these kind of new kind of rules. And it's like, no, really, it's, just, it's a way of living. Following Jesus is, is a way of living and breathing on this planet and treating people and making decisions. It's not about rules and regulations. It's almost as if, you know... You know, when you, read a, when you read a manual of how to do something, Donald, you know what a manual is. It's supposed to be instructions. Donald just does it. <laughs> but imagine you got a new grill to put together, right? And there's the instructions. And imagine if those instructions became a human and then, like, showed you with you, worked with you to put the grill together. That'd be nice, right? 
Home Depot or Ikea sends you a human instead of those instructions? That's Jesus. Jesus is how this planet works in agreement with God manifest as a human. Jesus is the instruction manual, but not just to show you what you're supposed to do, but to walk with you and help you as you live out this life. You know, it's not like you got to pass these tests and live these rules and then you get in. No, we'd all, nobody's getting in. No, he says, this is, this is how this planet works. This is how life works. Follow me, watch me. Ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to two things. Love the Lord God with all your heart, strength, and soul, and love others as you want to be loved or as you love yourself. Everything hinges on that. That's pretty much it. That's all he asks. Pretty simple, right? But what we do is, you know, because we think that we've got to keep God happy with our behavior because you've been taught that for the large majority of your life. Does that mean sin's okay? No. Stay away from it. But because we've got such performance-mindedness, and when we, when we go against, especially believers, when we go against the new heart that knows how to follow God, man, it creates such a sense of guilt and condemnation. You know, condemnation is most simply understood is the expectation of judgment or the expectation of bad things to happen. You know, don't raise your hand, but do you live your life feeling like something bad's about to happen? Some people do. That's condemnation. That's, that's foreboding, kind of always thinking. Or maybe, maybe it's this for you. Things get going really good, you know. Something bad hasn't happened for a while, and your kids get some kind of opportunity, or you get a promotion, or something starts going really good, and nothing really bad's happened for a while, and you, and you realize that, you know, oh, here it comes. Something's about to happen. It can't, it can't stay this good. You ever felt like that? That is a sense of condemnation. That is, an, ex, that is a, an expectation of a bad thing to happen to you. At the core of what that is, is the expectation of punishment. Because you're expecting to be held accountable for something that you either did or didn't do deep within your heart related to your performance, and ultimately because you are submitted to God in your heart, you think you deserve some kind of penalty, and you're just waiting for it to happen, right? Now, if you've got people in your family that are reckless, you don't have any kind of control over that. You've got stuff going around you in your job, you know, and stuff happens, that person, but I'm, I'm talking about within you, within your life, within your heart, within your mind. If you're walking around with this sense of, any minute now, here it comes, at its core, you're expecting to be punished, to be judged and punished by God. I mean, that's really what it is. So you have to go through this process of understanding what the sacrifice of Jesus has done in you, what it's done to you as the kind of being that you are, and then the state of existence that it leaves you before God. See, Transformation isn't just you quit sinning. Transformation is righteousness, peace, and joy also rises up within you. 
You know, do you live life with more of a sense of depression or joy? Even if you never outwardly sin, but if you walk around depressed, you've still got some transforming to experience. Not, not, you know, I don't mean you should walk around bouncing off the walls, you know, pooping rainbows and singing zippity doo dah all the time. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I, we still want to be real people. You know, you've seen those people, right? They're like floating on a cloud all the time. You're like, oh, about that guy. I, you know, we're still real. What I want us to do is actually experience what spiritual mindedness really is. So in Romans 8, we see that to be spiritually minded is life and peace, and to be carnally carnally minded is death. Carnal is not necessarily evil. It just means physical, limited to physicality. So if all we have is this physical world, then the only thing we have is certain death. Because everything physical in this world is in a state of entropy and declining and decaying and dying. That's why when you listen to the scientists, there's no hope. Everything's running out. Everything's going to blow up. Everything's this. You know, there's like, if you're only limited to physicality, it's death. And not just necessarily because it's evil. It's just physicality dies. But to be spiritually minded is life. In other words, to be life-minded, life-minded. To me, that's what spirit is. If you could take the substance of spirit, say, the, say the, the presence of God within you, whatever that is, that frequency or whatever, if it were observable, if you could put it under a microscope and see what it is and determine what it's made of, it's life. It's light. It's life that continues to nourish and give and, and grow not death and decay. So we're wanting to be in this place where we experience his life, but because we have carnality in our minds, we're living and experiencing and making choices consistent with death and decay because we don't really fully understand the washing of the blood of Christ, the life of Christ. You know, when you think about blood, you have to think about life. So the past couple of weeks, we've looked at sacrifice and You know, we started out on Resurrection Sunday and talking about how when Jesus rose and he told Mary, he said, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to my father. Well, that's a direct reference back to the Old Testament Levitical uh, sacrificial system where when the high priest once a year would make the, the atoning sacrifice in Yom Kippur for the entire nation of Israel, he would collect the blood of the scapegoat and he would say, don't touch because there's people there. He'd say, don't touch me. I've, I've, got to, I've not yet offered this blood yet. I've got to go into the heavenly holy of holies, and it can't be, I can't be impure. Don't, don't blow this. Don't touch me because I've got to go offer the blood. And that's what Jesus was saying. He rose out of that grave. And let's go look at this in, in Hebrews 9, and we've been talking about it, that he went in with his own blood to cleanse the heavenly holy of holies of condemnation and accusation and to have a testimony of righteousness for all those who would believe. So, but what I want to get to, and I'm gonna, I'll give you the end from the beginning here, well, maybe from the middle, the end from the middle. But about, in about 15 minutes, I'll show you how if you're walking around constantly feeling like you just, it just doesn't quite feel either guilt or a shame or something 
is going to be messed up here and just, you know, you understand what I'm saying? There is a freedom from that. What we're talking about is the conscience. All right, so let's look at this. And we're going to read quite a bit of this chapter. So you ready? Take a deep breath. You ready? We're going to read the Bible in church. (laughs) Hebrews 9. Now the first covenant had regulations. See, and it was all about regulation, all right? So can everybody see? If you can't see, you can move around where you can see one of the TVs. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. Uh, in its first room were the lampstand and the table and its uh, consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. By the way, the bread was holy. Did it perform its way into holiness? The bread? No. It went through the proper ritualistic cleansing, which left it holy. That's how we become holy as well. We go through the proper cleansing, and then we're holy. It's the blood. Verse 3, behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. That would have been cool to see. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. Uh, But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. Now, you got to realize this system was given to us to... As a, as a system of temporary forgiveness and atonement for the Israelites, but it was also a foreshadowing of what the Messiah would do when he gets here. Where this stuff was done repeatedly, he would do it once and for all. Where this stuff was done externally, he would do it internally with us. So you got to see the parallels here. Um, but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. This is what I want us to zero in on, okay? See, the blood of Jesus is not just your righteousness, and praise God it is. It's not just the agent with which God cleanses you and does a deep work within you and leaves the inside of your inner being in a place where he can now live within there. It should also clear your conscience. Now, I'll just let the Holy Spirit sit on that for a minute. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. I mean, I'm going to stop and just kind of comment here. But this is so much, this mentality of forgiveness and washing and holiness is still in the church today, meaning the old covenant mindset of washing of the, wa- of the blood of Christ. It's still this mindset that you still are guilty before God. You still have to... You know, tell God you're sorry for every little thing that you've done in order to continue to be forgiven. And it's and it's like what he's painting the picture of is here 
that used to be where you could do ceremonial washings and cleansings and be holy and pure from the outside, but now something's happening where from the inside you can be clean. And it should even affect your conscience. It should affect that area of your life where you choose right from wrong. Ultimately, that's what your conscience is. It's that part of your mindset where you look to con-science. It's like a dual knowledge. You've got two ways of thinking, you know, spiritual thinking and, and natural thinking or carnal thinking. Your conscience is where you go. And depending on what you've done or allowed to define you will develop a consciousness within you And in your conscience, you're living out of that. It's part of your heart. You know, we don't understand all these details about what kind of being that we are. But not just your past of your sin, but in this moment, right now, presently, there should be no sense of guilt or shame or or sorrow for your past in your mind because the blood of Christ can cleanse your conscience. So does that mean that you can just, I'm going to go out that door and do the same old stuff over and over again? No, that's dumb. Don't do that. Because what that does is it continues to harden your heart. It, it sears your conscience. It, it uh, defiles your conscience. And it affects what you think the difference between right and wrong are. See, what God's trying to do is cleanse the part where you're making choices so that it's only full of life and only full of appreciation and thankfulness for what God has done for you. You know, if you're making decisions out of a guilty conscience, you're going to put yourself in this place where you still expect some type of judgment and punishment, and you're going to limit the abundance of what God's trying to do for you and through you. It's, It's a bit of a paradox, right? We walk around with, and religion, man, centered religion will tell you this. You should feel guilty and you should examine yourself to see all the places that you've missed it and come in with this sense of, of oh, I'm not, you know, like, like, the, like the prodigal son comes back to, God, to, to the, his father and says, well, at least maybe I can get a job. Maybe I can go work for my father. And the father runs out to the son and, and instantly, he doesn't even look at the son through the filter of, I'm worthless, I ruined everything. The father looks at the son, the prodigal son, that comes back after ruining everything and still sees him as his child. The father wasn't holding anything against the son. It was all in the mindset of the son that came back in. And he was willing to settle for way less than his father had for him. That's what a guilty conscience will do. Sin consciousness drives you back into sin. It causes you to settle for less than what God really has for you. It causes you, it's false humility is what it is. Right? So external regulations applying until the uh, time of the new order or the reformation or the regeneration, ultimately until the new covenant is what it's talking about. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here. Say that, now already here. Uh, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's saved 
You still have to choose God and say yes and be born again. You must be born again. But the opportunity is there for everyone who will believe and receive what Christ has done for them. Amen? Mm-hmm. So thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? See, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We've been taught mostly that being spiritually minded is you're getting words of knowledge for people and you're getting prophecies for people and God's telling you to go meet somebody in the bread aisle of the store two towns away and look how holy you are because you followed that. But spiritual mindedness might include those things. I mean, absolutely we should reflect that stuff. But at a deeper layer... Spiritual mindedness is understanding what God has done with Jesus in you. And in your mind, you see the effects of that. I don't care how amazing you are at getting miracles. If you're walking around with a sense of shame and feeling like you're unworthy, you need some deeper revelation on who God is in you. So let's go look at this. So to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This stuff, understanding this is how you develop that spiritual mindset. You get the truth of what God did in spirit, in that dimension, how it affects you now, and you let those realities that he did through Jesus that are true in that spirit dimension that are connected to you now, that's how you develop spiritual mindedness. It's not about gifts and stuff. Those are the effects of having a spiritual mindset. Amen? That stuff you just do because you're walking around representing God on this planet. We want that. We we need to see more of that. We need to see the power of God flowing through our hands and our lives and our mouths and our everything. Our decisions, you know. But it's more consistent when you understand this stuff. So to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Going through something like that and understanding what's true of you spiritually develops a consciousness within you that produces life and peace. That you live in this state of peace and righteousness and joy. When you lose a child, when you lose a husband, when you lose a job, when you look at the state of the world and you see just horrific acts of injustice and lack and poverty and death, man... You know, if we were science-minded, we would look at that stuff and be so overwhelmed because all you see is that stuff and there's nothing left. It's just that. We're tending toward death. Look how bad it is. We're scientists. But the faithful look at that and say, you know what? My heart breaks for that, but there's hope. There's life that can come. You know, resurrection can happen. Amen? There's, There's... something good still left that can change. I mean, and and that's where we just trust God, you know, having hope because we are life-minded. There's something inside of us different than the death that's in the world. You think like that, you're going to have life and peace, and you're going to do the stuff. 
you look at your life and you, you're taking inventory of all the bad, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have more of it. And if you feel guilty for it, some of us have made really bad mistakes. Now, I read a story about this guy who somehow the, his son's death was his fault. Can you imagine trying to forgive yourself or something like that? I don't really even know all the details, but it's like, man, how... And I don't know, there, there's not, you can't write a seven-step book of how to get over something like that. This is something that's a deep work that has to happen between you and your God. And you let him minister to you. And you let him strengthen you. That's what I want this place to be, is, is it kind of a, a place where we come in and we learn how to let God inspire us and live from that, right? So let's look at Romans 5, because I just want to continue the effects of what happened through that cleansing. You know, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You've got to get what's true spiritually in your mind, and it produces the life and the peace. Well, yeah, but what am I supposed to do here? I have no clue what you're supposed to do there. But I know that if you're full of the life of God in your mind and in your heart, and you have hope, you're open to his leading, and you will be led into blessing and abundance, even in the midst of tragedy. Romans 5, 6, we're looking just a little bit more at what happened to you in the blood of Christ. So you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Say, that's me. That was me. You know, I mean, I talk, you talk to people, right? You ever invited somebody to church and they're like, you know what? As soon as I get this thing taken care of, this, this particular sin out of my life, and then I'll come to church with you. Yeah. No, this is what you tell them. Say, you know what? Jesus died for you in this state. Now's the perfect time to come. Mm-hmm. Not a bunch of perfect people. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified, say, I have been justified. justified. Justified means made righteous. Say, I am righteous. righteous. You believe that? Do you feel it? You know, we did this exercise another time before, but I'll do it again. We've got a little bit of time. Say this one more time. Now, after you say it, notice how you feel. I am righteous. I am righteous. You think about what you did last night. Are you thankful that it's true? Are you aware of something you got to clean up in your past? You know, I mean, where do you go? What is your, your heart will tell you what you believe about yourself. If it tells you anything other than, that's right you got to go back and solidify these truths about what Jesus spiritually did within you so that life is your state of mind because your conscience is in the middle and you're going to choose and make choices of what you think is right and wrong. Let me keep going here and then I'll... All right, so since we now have been justified or made righteous by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? God's wrath towards sin. For if while we were, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If your conscience is telling you that you don't deserve to be in right standing with God because of your actions, a couple of things are true. You don't really fully understand the sacrificial nature of salvation. In other words, you are made accepted because Jesus became you and took your place. And if you say yes to him, that exchange is true for you and becomes something spiritually actually happens within you. You go from one kind of being to another kind of being. You get a new heart. You're cleansed and all of that. The other thing is you're self-righteous. You think your righteousness has to do with your behavior. And if you're self-righteous, you live in that man-centered way of teaching religion that says God's favor toward me or God's willingness to be involved with me is dependent upon my behavior. And look how bad I've messed up here. So God is far from me in this moment right now. That's self-righteousness. That is, a, that, is a, that is not a clear conscience. That is a conscience that's full of sin. Now, in your conscience, ultimately what it is, it's where you choose right from wrong. It's where you, you know, I don't think that we were supposed to, you know, the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they gained the capacity to evaluate good from evil. You know, rather than just trusting God and rather than just living in the way that he programmed them and gave them life to live in, they gained some kind of capacity, I think within their conscience, to evaluate things and judge right and wrong, good and evil. And our conscience is still experiencing the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in this day. Are you following me? Our conscience isn't the place where we're supposed to even look at the world and judge, well, that's good and that's bad. Or, you know, that's right and that's wrong. It's not about right and wrong. It's about what produces death and what produces life. What is darkness and what is light? So the reason you've got to meditate on these kinds of things to the degree, you know, grace is a bit scandalous because when you truly have a clear conscience you almost feel like you're getting away with something. Really. You feel like, hey. And, and if you don't have maturity developed within you, you can get into that kind of mindset and say, hey, I can do anything. Sin doesn't affect me. I'm still loved by God. I can just tread on over here into this death and darkness. No, that's irresponsible. That is not a heart that is aware of righteousness. That is someone who might finally be happy that you're free from man-centered, performance-based religion, but there's still some transforming that needs to happen so that that's not in your conscience where you're still judging yourself for your past and you're feeling like maybe, okay, I'm getting some freedom here. You know, and, and there, there's so much that can be talked about in this subject. And we'll, next week we'll go a little bit further into sin consciousness and, uh, well, actually, you know what? The next week, Jim will be here. He'll go into it. This will be a good setup for Jim. Um, by the way, Friday night and Saturday, there's a free seminar. We did move it across the street, so it will be over there. Uh, 
But my pastor, Jim Richards, will be here, and it's going to be awesome. I get to share a little bit, too. But, you know, if you carry any sense of guilt or if you carry any sense of false humility, thinking that you kind of deserve to have limited abundance in your life from God or you feel like you're settling, first off, you kind of have to remove yourself from the center of your life because it ain't about you and realize Jesus is within me. My path in this life now is not to collect everything I can for myself, but it's to be so thankful toward what God has done in me that really all I want in my life is what God wants to do through me. That doesn't mean you quit your job and jump in the ministry. That just means you put him at the center every morning when you wake up and you go to your job and you go to whatever it is that you're going to. It's not about you. You're not dependent on yourself to make that money to provide for yourself. You're thankful that God gave you the energy and God, you know, created this life for you and you've made choices. You're in that kind of job. Now, we're not, you know, we're not putting all that kind of stuff on him. If you're, ha- if you're unhappy with your job, you chose that job. Don't be blaming that on God. Trust him to be led to something else. Amen? He wants good things for you. But the conscience is what we're after. And I'm telling you, I know some of you. And I know some of the things that have happened to you and some of the things that you've done. And it's in this world of death, it makes sense to hold on to the guilt. But that, all that does is going to continue to fuel your mind to continue to choose death because you think you deserve it. You have that condemnation. You have that expectation that it, I can't, it, can't, it can't get really good for me because I don't deserve it. Your conscience is not yet clear from the past. And I don't know how to tell you to get that to work for you other than fill your mind and your heart with these truth scriptures about what Jesus did, and it's up to you. Are you going to go and meditate on this stuff? Give yourself some homework assignments, you know. Don't make it about performance. Just get in a place where you... It works for you, where however you do life with God, it works for you to think about and open your heart and your mind to the truth that the blood of Christ that was shed before Almighty God has cleansed you to such a deep level that there's nothing else in you that God is holding against you. You are that clean and that it affects your mind and how you feel about yourself in life. And in that kind of freedom, you're dangerous for the good because you're unlimited. You're not blocking the good things that God wants for you. You feel like, I never knew that it could be this good. Every day for you is righteousness, peace, and joy. It's possible. It is possible to never be depressed again. And line your words up with it. I actually have, you're going where I wanted to go, you know. So ultimately, and I'll end it with that, but life and death are in the power of the tongue. When you're choosing life, when you know that you deserve life because because God is within you, then you speak it. We'll look into that more next week. Clear, not next week. I keep trying to take Jim's message away from me. (laughs) A clear conscience based on the deep cleansing of the life of Christ within you. 
That's, that's your task. That's your homework this week. What, how are you going to live within that? How are you going to let that truth resonate within you so that it affects how you feel about yourself, what you think you deserve in life? You know, if you feel like you're getting away with something, you still hadn't really fully understood the remission of sin, but it kind of starts that way. It's like, you know, we, we, it's almost like, no, I've got to, I have to hold on to this sense of guilt a little bit. I can't let myself be completely free from it. I can't, I can't let go of all the guilt. I can't be that free. You know, but God, you know, it's weird what we do. That makes sense? No, it can be. You can be that clean, clean and free where nothing from your past has any power over you to define you. Because in that kind of freedom, you're going to choose life. And you're going to let him be glorified in you. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for that deep work that you've done within us by your spirit. We want to live with a clear conscience. And you've showed us it's possible because of the cleansing power of the life of Jesus. Uh, We don't know how that works, but we're open to it. We want the guilt gone. We want that sense of condemnation and and that that kind of overbearing feeling that things are about to go really bad. We want that gone. Righteousness, peace, and joy in our hearts.